Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Riverwood Church, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all of the moms, the stepmoms, the grandmoms, the future moms, even the wannabe moms. Um, I realize for some of you, today is a great day. Uh, it's a chance to reconnect with your kids or to call your mom. Uh, just you, you're, you're very blessed today, but I realize for some of you, it's a hard day. Whether it's because you've lost your mom and today's just another reminder of that. Maybe it's you've got a strained relationship with your mother. Um, maybe if you've wanted to have kids, you wanted to be a mom, and, and, and for some reason God just hasn't allowed that to happen. It can be a difficult day. I just want you to know that God knows the situation you're in. If today is a good day, I hope today you are praising him. And I pray that if today is a rough day, you will turn to him. That he knows what you're going through, and he's there with you, and he is for you. Uh, today on Mother's Day, we have the joy of helping the Sharer family dedicate their uh, daughter, Murphy, to the Lord. Before I have them come up, uh, I just want to explain a couple of things. Uh, in our Midwest culture here, we have a lot of mainline denominations that when they do these dedications, they call them a, a child baptism. There's usually a baptismal font, and there's a sprinkling of water on the child. Uh, you're probably wondering why there's no font here. Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when a person is baptized, they are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, just a few weeks ago here at Riverwood, we had a big tank that we borrowed from Cross Point Church, and we had four people be baptized. And some people call this believer's baptism. Today, Murphy is not making any sort of decision to say, I follow Jesus. And so that's why today we are not applying any water. And yet we recognize she is precious. She's beautiful. She is a gift from God to Adam and Danielle. And we want to acknowledge that. And so that's why we're today allowing them to dedicate her to, to the Lord. But Murphy's not making any sort of decision today. This is really all Adam and Danielle. This is them saying, we realize this kid is a gift from God to us. And we don't know what we're doing we need his help. And so that's why they are dedicating themselves in, in such a way that they're going to seek to raise their, their daughter. They will do it imperfectly, but their ultimate goal is to see their daughter know Jesus, love Jesus, and be a blessing to the world. But the reason we do it here on Sundays during a worship gathering is because it's also a church dedication. We believe that we as a church are to do these things together, that they are not alone and on their own, that we don't just sit back and gaze and, and watch the way they do it, that we enter into their lives through growth groups and just in, in relationship. So the, the days that they have hard days, there's, there's people who will love them and listen to them. The days that they get to celebrate when Murphy does something amazing, there's people there who are part of that. So that's why today I'm going to invite Adam and Daniel to come, and Adam's going to uh, introduce everyone to you. And then I'm going to have a little vow, if you will, for them to read. We just did this a couple of weeks ago, so some of you heard this when Sam and uh, Jody were uh, uh, dedicating. Uh, uh, I've got two M names, not Murphy. Margot, thank you. Um, but if you were with us a couple of weeks ago when we did that... Uh, we had a, a church vow after. So if, if you are part of the Riverwood family, I encourage you to, to read that. Uh, and if you're part of the extended family, I encourage you to read that as well. If you're not comfortable reading that aloud, that's totally fine. But it's a chance for us to say, you know what? We vow to do this with them. All right. And then I will pray for the family. So if you, if you guys want to come on up here. You know what, Sully, you may find this hard to believe, but I kind of don't like being on the stage and in the lights either. So, Adam, would you go ahead and introduce your family? 
Uh, I'm Adam Scher. This is my beautiful wife, Danielle, and our two wonderful girls, Sullivan Margaret and Murphy June. All right, and today we are dedicating Murphy, so I will allow you guys to read that together. Recognizing Murphy as a precious gift from God, we, as her parents, commit to each other before God and our church family to raise Murphy in such a way that she will have every opportunity to see the work of the gospel in our lives and marriage and be given every opportunity to follow Jesus herself. And those of you who are comfortable, would you read this vow to Adam and Danielle? We, as the Riverwood Church family and extended family, commit ourselves to pray for Adam and Danielle and their children, to celebrate with them in moments of joy, support them through moments of pain, and support their desire to see their children grow to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Murphy June. We thank you for the blessing that she has already been and the blessing she will continue to be. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would protect her life, that you will give her long life on this earth so that she can be a blessing to many, many, many people. Lord, I pray that Murphy would have every opportunity to know who you are in the first place she would see that in the lives of her parents, that she would watch her parents (laughs) imperfectly seek to follow you as they stumble their way through life, seeking to put you first in all things, that she would notice this, she would see it, and she would realize it is true that you, Jesus, loved her so much that you came to this earth to die for her sins and you rose again from the dead so that she could follow a risen Savior. So, Father, I pray you would work in her life, that you would use Adam and Danielle, you would use their extended family, you would use the Riverwood family to help this little girl to know you, to follow you, and to make you known. So, God, thank you for this beautiful, precious moment. Thank you for this wonderful little girl. And we look forward to watching what you do in her and through her for years to come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. I'll take that and give you that. All right. Would you guys stand? Let's sing one last song.
thank you for the work that you have done. The work upon the cross in our place for our sin. That it's not by our method of earning or our merits that uh, you grant us this grace, but it is by your love that you so freely give, that you share uh, without end. So Lord, I pray as we have gathered to worship you this morning, as we worship you through the singing of songs, through the preaching and teaching of your word, through communion and through generosity, Lord, we pray that uh, you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would help us as we worship you um, to love you and to love our neighbor in turn. We pray these things in your mighty name. We say together, amen. All right, you may go ahead and have a seat. So I am Jake. I am the worship gathering dude here at Riverwood. Uh, so glad to see so many faces. Uh, and yeah, it's so good to see you all. Um, for you joining us online, uh, we are glad again uh, just that you are worshiping with us, that you're spending your time with us, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning. Um, so before we get into the message, as we're continuing in the gospel of Mark, we're going to go through some family news and notes. Uh, if you are a first-time guest here, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we have uh, connection cards at the chairs, um, and if you prefer you know, just sending us an email, just letting us know that you are here. If you're a first-time guest, we donate $5 uh, to an organization called Compassion International. They're an organization that works to bring children out of poverty in Jesus' name. And so we have loved being able to partner with them over the years. Uh, and so if you are a newbie here or if you've been coming for a while and just haven't connected, uh, go ahead and fill out that card. Just let us know you are here. Uh, and then for more news and notes, you can go ahead and check out this little bit.ly link here. That's bit.ly uh, slash notes rw. That will have some more information for this week ahead, uh, such as the food pantry. Uh, that's going to be at Vineyard Church this Tuesday. Uh, there's a setup for, uh, let me see, it's 515 uh, for the setup. It's where they get it all on tables ready for the drive-thru. And then I believe... Was it six something or did I do the times wrong? I did the times wrong. It's 415 setup, 515 distribution. All right. That's why I got you guys. Accountability. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to continue in the gospel of Mark uh, and Aaron's going to come up and teach. It's okay. I can't remember Margo's name. You can't remember times. We're a, we're a good team. Uh, I realize I didn't introduce myself. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, a teaching pastor for Riverwood. And yes, we are uh, in our uh, series going through the book of Mark. Uh, when I was nine years old, I wanted to go out for the swim team. Uh, I loved swimming since I was a little kid, was excelling in my swim lessons. And so we found out there was a summer swim team league in our community. And so at nine years of age, I joined it. And it turned out that I was just a little bit of a natural uh, I was a little faster than most of my peers. Now, keep in mind, this is small-town Iowa, so the competition wasn't super, super high. But I, I started to excel. I started winning a lot of blue first-place ribbons. And, and so it started to go to my head. And what ended up happening is I, one day at one of our swim meets, talking with a group of friends, and I'm just stating what I think is truth. 
I'm the fastest at backstroke, Nick's the fastest at breaststroke, I'm the best at butterfly, and Tom's the best at freestyle. To me, this was proved over and over in the pool. But what I didn't realize was that I was boasting. In, in that moment, I hurt my friend Steve's feelings. See, Steve had been on the team since he was six years old. His parents were the coaches for the team. And so Steve was not only offended that I left him off of my best of list because he thought he was a better breaststroker than uh, Nick, but he also couldn't believe that I, brand new to the team, just had the audacity to start going, yeah, I'm the best. Now, what's funny is that over time, I have ever so slowly shifted to being less like nine-year-old Aaron and being more like nine-year-old Steve in that when someone starts bragging about how great they are, I inwardly start to cringe and try to, you know, kind of pull away from them. But there's something fascinating within our culture. There's a section of our culture that, that is like 48-year-old Aaron, you know, who, who kind of pulls away from this sort of bragging and boasting. But there's another section of our culture that's like nine-year-old Aaron that actually revels in this type of boasting. Let me give you an example. There's a controversy raging within baseball. I shouldn't say raging, a small little controversy that's happening within Major League Baseball over bat flipping. Now, if you don't know what a bat flip is, it's when a guy hits a home run, he sees it's going out, and he tosses his bat in such a way that it tumbles end over end and it flips. Now, there are people who would be considered traditionalists. Like, that is rude. That's disrespectful. You are a professional. You're being paid millions of dollars. So act like you've been here before. You hit the home run, you just lay the bat down, and you make a way around the bases. But there's another section of our culture that sees the bat flip and loves it. They revel in it. They will like make a gif so it plays over and over and over and they post it all over social media. They love it. Because when the guy hits that ball, it's like he's saying, I was gonna come up here and hit a home run and I did it. And he celebrates by throwing the bat and he goes around and he's basically saying, I, in this moment, am the greatest. And they love it. You see, there's something within us that longs for that sort of attention. Even those of us who prefer to be behind the scenes, we don't want to be on the stage in the light. We'd like to be in the dark. Even then, we want someone to at least admire us, to recognize us, to respect us. It's just that some of us, in our desire to get to that place of respect and, and admiration, we want to hear someone say that we're the greatest. But when no one else says it, sometimes we feel the need to say it ourselves. Today, we're going to see two of Jesus' disciples want to bat flip. They, they're going to want the prominent position. They're going to want everyone to see just how great they are. And so they're going to make this outrageous ask of Jesus. Now, I'm going to spoil the whole story for you right now. Jesus is going to tumble it all down. Like, they want to build this ivory tower to show everyone how great they are, and Jesus just knocks out the foundation. But that leads into a conversation of what does greatness really look like? And so, if you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 as we continue in part two of the first shall be greatest. So, Zion, if you would, raise the lights, please, so people can see their, their Bibles. Uh, last week, uh, we um, 
we were in Mark 10, and we saw Jesus getting ready to take off on a, a journey. Today, we see them actually begin the journey. But as they were beginning that journey, this rich man suddenly approached them and, and began to ask Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? That led into an entire conversation with Jesus' disciples where it's impossible to get into heaven on your own. And this was shocking to them because they thought that this rich man had been blessed by God. Plus, this rich man had done everything right. So for them to hear Jesus say, it's impossible to get into heaven, they basically were like, well, then what's the point? And Jesus says, well, while it's impossible for man, it's not impossible with God. And, and, and we saw ultimately that Jesus went to a cross to die in our place, that he did it. And it's through him then that we have entrance into eternal life. And Jesus finished up his teaching by saying, the first shall be last and the last first. That Jesus, the first, put himself last in order to take us who were last sinful humans so that we could be first into the kingdom. Well, this week we get to hear Jesus not just teach that. He's going to take it and apply it to himself and to his disciples. Which means if you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you've got to listen in. Because what Jesus has for his disciples back then, it extends to us today. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I want you to listen in because maybe someday you're going to become that follower. Maybe you're going to realize the truth of the gospel, that this whole crazy story of God sending his son to earth to live a sinless life but to go and die a sinner's death, that it actually is true. It's not some fable. And when you realize it's true, you're going to put your faith in Christ. And so today's going to give you a preview of the kind of life that God calls you to. So as we get ready to read in Mark 10, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for your timeless scriptures. I, I thank you for the, the truths that they have taught generation after generation after generation of who Jesus is and what he did. And I thank you that we get the opportunity to be a part of that, that we get to study this section today. But God, I realize that as I've tried to put in some time and work to, to put this all together, that ultimately this is about you and what you need to say. God, I, I do not even think that I, it's possible for just me, one man, to convey everything, all the truth that is needed by such a wide variety of people. But God, I believe that you can. And so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work right now, that he would enter into the ears and hearts of those listening, and that they would not walk away from this, even maybe even remembering the name Aaron Bird, that they would walk away remembering the name of Jesus Christ, that this would be all about you. But in the process, God, I pray you change us. That as we seek to make this life all about you, you would do something deep in us. So the, the way we live, it's all about you. And so God, I pray that this would not be just about the next 30 minutes together. That this would be about what you want to do in a lifetime in us. So I pray, Father, for you to accomplish that now through your spirit, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, today we're going to be in Mark 10. Uh, we finished at verse 31 last week, so we'll pick it up in verse 32. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying... See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. 
and after three days, he will rise. So you, you need to realize that the passage we saw last week just happened minutes ago. Right? So the, the rich man has walked away. Jesus has had his conversation with the disciples. And now they finally pick up the backpacks and they're getting ready to take off to the next community. But then something very interesting happens. If you notice there, it says that these disciples, they're amazed and they're also afraid. I mean, first of all, they're still a little disturbed from the conversation that just took place. Because here they thought that rich people, especially good rich people like that young man, automatic entrance into heaven. So now to hear Jesus say, no, it, it's impossible to get in without God. Like, okay, their theology has just been messed with. But now something else is happening. Jesus is walking out in front. That, that, that didn't happen. Whenever Jesus would travel with his disciples, he'd be with them. Because he's constantly teaching them. He's letting them know, here's what the kingdom of God means. Here's how to live this life. Like, these were moments with his guys. But suddenly now, he's out in front. And he has like a determination to his step. And this bothers them. Something is up. If you were with us on Palm Sunday, we saw the parallel passage of this in Luke. We saw that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen in Jerusalem, and he's out in front. If you missed that message, I really encourage you, go and listen to it so that you can hear why was it Jesus so willingly went to Jerusalem when he knew what was ahead. In this moment, Jesus senses the fear in his guys. And so he stops Let's them catch up to him. He says, all right, guys, listen up. We're, we're headed to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to ha ha happen. I'm going to get arrested, handed over to the, the priests and the scribes. They're going to have this fake trial. They're going to find me guilty that they're not going to have anything against me. They're going to then hand me over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, who are going to have me flogged, and eventually I'm going to be killed. But don't, don't worry about it. On the third day, I will rise again. Now, in the book of Mark, this is not the first time Jesus has said this. This is actually the third time Jesus has said this. I mean, anything Jesus says even once, I mean, you probably should listen up and get. But for him to say it three times, it's like he's trying to drill this into the hearts and minds of his disciples, saying, guys, I did not come just to do these miracles. I did not come just to teach you about the kingdom of God. I did not come to try to establish an earthly throne. I came to die. And he wants them to hear it and get it. The problem is, though, they don't. Notice what happens next. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's Jesus and his disciples walking along the road. He stops, says, all right, guys, here's, here's what's going to happen. And then they continue on. I can only assume Jesus has continued on ahead. And, and James and John kind of run up to him. Now, we know from one of the other Gospels that, that uh, James and John's mother was a part of this. So maybe she's trying to spur them on like, guys, go, go there. there. Some scholars believe that James and John are actually cousins of Jesus. So there's like a family connection. So maybe he'll give them a favored status, you know, as cousins. Also, we know that, you know, Jesus had the 12, but he had kind of three close friends, Peter, James, and John. And, and John was kind of like his best friend. So if anyone's going to get like the right or left hand of Jesus, it seems to be John. And it makes sense James is there because, I mean, James is like the older brother and everyone knows James knows what he's doing. So, yeah, this makes sense. And yet, think about all that Jesus has been teaching. I mean, just a couple hours ago, they listened to Jesus have this conversation with the rich man. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus is saying to them, you know what, guys? The first will be last and the last will be first. The, the things in this life that you think make you first, like wealth, prestige, you know, your stuff, your reputation, your talents, sometimes those are the very things that keep you separated from God. Because you end up relying on those things rather than going and putting your faith in God. But some of us that seem to have nothing, that seem to be last in life, those are the very ones who now are poised and ready to put all their faith on God because they have nothing else. And they're, they're better set to now put their faith on him. The first will be last and the last will be first. And yet it's like it doesn't even register. And they were also there back in chapter 9 when the disciples had this big conversation about who's the greatest. And they're not sitting there going, oh, yeah, you're pretty good. I think you're, oh, no, you're, you're no, they're sitting there going, okay, yeah, you're, you're good, but I'm a little better. Like they're trying to one-up each other. And Jesus comes along and corrects them. He says this at Mark 9, verse 35. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So James and John were there when Jesus humbles them in chapter 9. They're there when he, they see Jesus humble this rich guy in chapter 10. And yet they still have the audacity to approach Jesus on the road and say, hey, hey Jesus, as we're approaching Jerusalem, as you're going to be setting up your kingdom, um, would you let us have the two most prominent positions after you? Like, have they not been listening? Are, are they just not getting it? You see, that's the thing with selfishness. When you live day in, day out, making it all about you, even when you have humbling moments like chapter 9 or chapter 10, it slowly creeps back and you just revert back into the patterns that you've been in and you just continue to make life all about you. James and John are just like us. They want someone to say, you're good. You're, you're great. I admire you. I respect you. And they thought that the way to get it was to be at Jesus' right hand and left hand. Because, I mean, they must be something if they get to be with Jesus. And Jesus responds to them with this. I absolutely love this. It says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? 
in Mark chapter 14, which we will get to later, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to God. And in his anguish, knowing what awaits him, that he's going to get flogged, he's going to get crucified, knowing the pain that is ahead, he prays this. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What does Jesus mean by remove this cup? In the Old Testament, primarily in the prophets, there's this language, this imagery of a cup and the contents of it being poured out. And oftentimes the contents in there are God's wrath or God's justice, God's judgment. And so it it indicates a very hard time. The prophets would warn Israel, if you don't change, God's judgment is going to be poured out upon you. And you will go through a really difficult time. Jesus grabs onto that imagery and says, God, remove this cup from me because he knows he's about to go to the cross. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter to the Corinthians, said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So when Jesus went to that cross, it's like he became the embodiment of sin and the wrath of God was poured out upon sin so that sin could be defeated and you and I could be freed then of our sin and come into a relationship with God. So the cup Jesus is referring to is the pain, the anguish, and the death. Same with the baptism. As we just explained uh, a little bit ago during the child dedication, that that when we see someone baptized, it is because they are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So when Jesus says to James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I could drink and go through the baptism I will be baptized with? He's not referring to wine and water. He's referring to the pain, the anguish, the difficulty, the suffering that he is going to go through. Now, these two, they're clueless. They, they reply to him, and they're like, yeah, we are. And, and, and Jesus looks at him, and I think he shakes his head, but then listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Wait, what? Yeah, it's true. In Acts chapter 12, verse 2, James is the first apostle killed for his faith in Jesus. You realize there's 12 disciples here. One of them is going to go and commit suicide, Judas Iscariot. That leaves 11 original. They fill his spot with another man, Matthias. But of those 11, 10 of them are killed for their faith in Christ. And the first one is James. The one who doesn't get killed for his faith is John. However, John gets exiled to an island, Patmos, where he ends up dying alone. These guys suffered for their faith in Jesus. They had no idea what was ahead. And Jesus does. But then he says, but guys, what you're asking for That's not my place to make that decision. Because those positions have already been prepared for someone. Now, this boasting of John and, I mean, of of James and John, uh, approaching Jesus, asking him for this, this offends the disciples. Look at verse 41. And when the ten, the other ten disciples, heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. I mean, they are offended. They're angry. How dare they? Because they wanted those positions. 
I mean, some of them, they're upset because James and John beat them to the punch. Others are upset because how dare they be so brash? Like, Jesus just taught us that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So if I try to act like a last, maybe then Jesus will give me those positions. So they're trying to do the humble route to get to the place of prominence. But they still wanted it. You see, they'd had that whole argument about who was the greatest, and that desire was still in there. So Jesus sees another teaching moment. He calls them all together, and he says this, verse 42. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would not, I'm sorry, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, I'm sorry, not, not verse 45. We'll get there in a second. Jesus is saying, Whoever would be great among you must be your servants. See, we have a faction of our culture that praises the bat flippers. I mean, think about every election cycle. The, the guy that gets voted in, who is the one who did the best boasting, the one who said, I'm going to do all this stuff for you, and the one that we're most convinced by, the one who seems to have set himself up the best, that's who we vote for. We, we live in a culture that, that honors those who boast. We look at Muhammad Ali, and he says, I am the greatest. And everyone goes, yeah. And Jesus says, but not so with you. See, there's people, they want the recognition. They want the, the admiration. They, they want the respect. They want this place of prominence. But they often trample upon the people to get there. And once they get there, once they achieve this fame, once they achieve this position of power, once they achieve a certain level of money, they then lord it over others, and they push them down. Because the only way they see to be up is to make others low. So what they try to do is make others last so that they're first. And Jesus says, but not so with you. In fact, he says, you want to be great? Serve. Like, you want to be first? Be a slave. The word he uses here is not like a, a slave that gets sold off. It's a bond servant. It's someone who willingly enters into this because they want to help someone else. This is why the apostle uh, Paul, when he was writing a letter to the church in Philippi, said this. This is Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's saying, you got to put others first. You've got to make it all about them. You want to be great? Serve. When I was putting together my preaching calendar, I, I try to usually in the fall lay out the entire next year. And as I was putting things together, it did not dawn on me that May 9th was going to be Mother's Day. And now I am so thankful that this is the passage that in a sense got assigned to this day. Because what Jesus is talking about it's what good moms do. I mean, think, think about it. Good moms put themselves last to put their kids first. I mean, in our home, I can't tell you how many times my kids seemed to get a warm meal, but my wife's food was often cold by the time she finally sat down. Or, or the kids seem to get their baths in. Mom's lucky, though, if she finds five minutes to get a shower. 
Like the kids get to do all these activities, join all these sports things that, that mom's driving them everywhere. Mom has to set her own hobbies and, and uh, things that she likes to do. She sets those aside. Maybe she'll get back to them when the kids are finally a little older, maybe out of the house. But that kind of route, it's tiring. It's hard. So that's why, moms, you need to hear, you're doing great. As you continue to sacrifice for your children, you're doing what Jesus has called you to. This is greatness. Because you have, in a sense, put yourself first to consider the needs of your children before your own. That's Christ-likeness. But this is not just to moms. Jesus is standing there with this group of teenage, young, you know, late teens, early 20s, guys, and he's teaching them the same thing. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, this is what Jesus calls you to. Because after all, this was his mission. You know how businesses have like a mission statement? Jesus gives us his mission statement, and it's verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Throughout the book of Mark, we have been seeing Jesus display amazing power. I mean, he has healed the blind, the deaf, the lame. He's stopped a storm with nothing but a word. He's fed 5,000 people with nothing but a small boy's lunch. I mean, he's done some incredible things. And then you throw on top of it the teaching. Like, Mark tells us that Jesus taught with an authority that everyone else lacked. You, you realize the word authority, the first section of it is author. That's because Jesus is the author of the scriptures. So who better to, to teach it than the author himself? Jesus has authority. And yet, when we look at the life of Jesus, he does not come down and demand people give him a throne. He does not come in to a crowd and demand that they all bow down. He does not demand wealth. He does not demand um, uh, recognition. He does not demand any of the things that our world says, this is what you need to do. Instead, Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So last week in part one, I, I finished with a question. So it seems very appropriate here in part two to do the same. So my question to you today is this. How should you respond? When you hear Jesus say, here's my mission. Here's why I came. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. What's your response? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would hope that your response is surrender. I would hope that you would completely give your life over to Christ. Jesus went to a cross to die for your sins. He loves you so much. He does not want you separated from God, but your sin keeps you separated. God is a perfect, holy God. Sin cannot come into his presence. So that's why Jesus went to a cross to take your sin. He came to give his life as a ransom for you. So that's why I hope today, Mother's Day, is your spiritual birthday. I hope today is the day where you give your life over to Christ. In just a, a few moments, we're going to have just a time of, of prayer. During that time, I just encourage you, confess your sin. Give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I now give myself fully to you. 
If you end up making that decision today, if you're here in person, there's these connection cards. On the back of that, it says, today I, I chose to follow Jesus. Would you mark that? And if you're online, would you just send us an email? Send it to Aaron, E-R-I-N, Aaron at weareriverwood.org. We want to know, not just so that we can like tally some numbers. We want to celebrate with you. But we also want to help you follow Christ. To us, this isn't about trying to get you to pray some sort of prayer. This is about helping you become the person God has called you to be. Our world desperately needs people who will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Today is the beginning of that journey for you. Now, some of you, you're sitting here saying, yeah, Aaron, I, I did that at one time in my life. So the question still extends to you. All right, so how are you going to respond to this? First, if this is Jesus' mission and we're supposed to live like Jesus lived, it means if Jesus says he did not come to be served but to serve, right there, one of your responses is to serve. It means you are to go and to give your life to put others first. Now, you can serve with us on Tuesday at the food bank. You could serve, you know, here on Sundays. But the kind of serving Jesus is calling us to, this is a daily serving. So really, it needs to be, how can you serve in your home? How can you serve at school? How can you serve the people at work? How can you serve the people in your neighborhood? How can you serve the people who are from your past? How can you serve the people who are in your present? If you want to live like Jesus lived, you must live a life of service. It is not about you. And when you live that kind of life, you end up helping other people feel lifted up. And they end up discovering Jesus. But I think there should be a second response. Not only do we hear Jesus' mission statement and say, okay, I need to serve. I think we look at it and we respond in worship. When we realize that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for us, it should leave us in awe. Jesus is on the road, headed to Jerusalem, and he fully knows what's going to happen, and he goes anyway. Because he loves you. So that's why we want to move into a time of communion. We want to allow you this chance to respond in worship. We want to give you a chance to sing, to pray, and to take those elements. If, if you are a follower of Jesus, even if Riverwood is not your church home, I still invite you to take these elements. To take that bread and that cup and realize Jesus gave his life for me. And to take a moment to thank him, to let it fill you with awe, to do this as worship. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please allow the ushers to just pass you by. It, because right now, it's not about these elements. It's about Christ. And I want you to give your life to him, to spend this next moment in surrender and make him the first in your life. Because Jesus Christ, the true first, he put himself last so that he could help you and I, sinful human beings who were last, suddenly be lifted up and to be firsts so that we could come into the kingdom of God. So ushers, would you please pass our elements? And let's do this now in remembrance of him.